Hey, what's happening, everybody? This is Snake Sable from Skid Row, and you are listening to Appetite for Distortion with my brother, Brando. You know where you are! This is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 417. My name is Brando. With me, I got two co-hosts today. One, maybe he'll say his first word on the air. I don't know. <laughs> You've gone wild. That's three words. Uh, I got baby Brownstone with me. We'll see how long. Uh, he's a little congested today. We'll see how long that lasts. But he's got to learn about rock and roll. My wife, I swear to God, Snake, and my other co-host, um, Chad Gervich, producer of, of the 80s metal documentary on, on Paramount that we spoke about with Jen and Gardner, my long-winded thing. My wife says to me, why don't you put on music for him to calm him down? And whatever reason, because I couldn't went Mozart, I couldn't went lullabies, I just said, to, hey, Alexa, put on 80s metal, and I Remember You came on. Oh, Alexa, stop. <laughs> Alexa, stop. <laughs> so I remember you came on. I'm not going to reenact it now this time. And he calmed down. So I, Really? So anyway, it's so funny. My wife was like, I didn't exactly mean that music. Well, this is, this is the guitarist I'm interviewing on Monday. He's got to prepare for the interview. So That's perfect. That's my long-winded tie into welcoming you snake uh, how are you oh i'm wonderful thank you for uh for taking the time out to speak with me i should thank you for the time out you're going on tour tomorrow and the yeah guy, leave tomorrow morning the guy who made it happen and we're going to get into the tour with buck cherry and where you're going and the the cities uh chad gervich you're also a returning co-host you were on yeah thanks brando uh, Thank you for coming on, Chad, and making this happen, because a couple episodes ago, to talk about that awesome 80s documentary, um, Chasing That 80s Metal Dream, and that's on Paramount Plus, the three-part documentary. You know, I spoke about it originally with Vicki Hamilton, former Guns N' Roses manager. Yep. Awesome. She's been on the show a few times. And you were nice enough to reach out to me. It's a, it's a long, boring story. You were you were able to hook up, uh, meet with uh, Janet Gardner of Vixen, who was the only one in that documentary that had not been on the, that po- this podcast, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And so, it, you know, again, it, so now you made Snake happen. The day, I mean, it's the day <laughs> off. I mean, I feel kind of, I don't know, I feel so guilty. You're taking the time out of your day off, Snake, and I got a baby here. I mean, it's not typical interview time for you, is it? Well, no, this is, it's like, look, it's, you kind of live this thing every day, you know, and, and, uh, we take care of, uh, we take care of business every day, whether we're home or, you know, off the road or, or on the road. So to me, this is, you know, I talking about something that is, uh, I'm really, really humbled to be a part of. And, and I thought, uh, Chad and Tyler and everybody that was involved in the, in the series did a, a, a really respectful and great job of uh, getting into uh, the history of the people that were being featured uh, in a way that uh, was really, again, respectful, uh, respectful of their, of their accomplishments of, of mishaps of, uh, you know, the ups and downs that, that everybody in this business goes through. Uh, and that was it's funny because a lot of people focus on that time period because it was really tumultuous during it and the aftermath of mm-hmm. it. So it's really intriguing, uh, you know, to a lot of people like a lot of my friends and stuff like that are really intrigued by everything that we went through as a band and, and during that time period. And, you know, again, the the aftermath of it, where where it left a lot of people and and uh I'm very, very thankful 
that uh, you know that I and and we as a band Skid Row were able to come out of it and still be able to go out and play and create and because that's what we do uh, for for a living and we're allowed to do that because fans still want to come out and see the band and hear the music and and that's a very very humbling uh thing for for me and for us i uh uh i'm still astonished that i get to go on tour like i'm leaving tomorrow as we spoke of a little bit ago and i feel that uh i need to make the most of all of that uh because it really is we treat it as as a celebration of of our complete history as a band. Um, we've been together 36 years. We've been releasing music commercially for 34. Um, and it really is something to even spew out those numbers because yeah. that's a long time. You know, that's, that's more than half my life. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of all of it as a whole but of course you know there for me I, I certainly have some regrets throughout that those 36 years 37 years and but the best thing about it is that you know where we've landed and where we continue to go um so as they say you know everything that you went through got you here and so i accept everything that we've been through and the the public's uh, support and love for us, whether it was on a, a massive level or or less than that, it's just amazing to be able to be recognized and and you know to be able to affect people in a certain way with the music that you create. Um, I'm still blown away when I look out at an audience and they're singing the lyrics to our songs and that. That's just every night it gets me, man. Every night it gets me because I'm I'm the type of person that uh, I, I very, very much realize how truly lucky I am uh, and we are. And I remember being, you know, absolutely penniless and, and broke and eating macaroni and cheese every night and but creating some of these songs and those moments like when we created i remember you or or something like that um when i see a person in the audience or people in the audience singing back the lyrics it brings me back to when we created something from nothing and the fact that it became and has become what it what, what it's become is I, I can't make sense of it <laughs> it's really amazing to me so um, I'm very, uh, like I said, I'm very humbled and, and thankful for all of it. Thank Snake. You, thank you for that. When, when you say, I, I, listening to you, you guys, you and Rachel and Scotty have been together for 36 years. That is longer than most marriages last. Oh, probably 90% of marriages. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like when you think about those 36 years, obviously you guys have had some amazing times i'm guessing you've had i mean you guys you know i've heard stories from you i'm sure you've had horrible times you've been there for each other you've probably hurt each other if somebody were to say to you give me relationship and like what have you learned about being in a relationship by being in a band that brando and i and everyone else else out there who aren't in bands can apply to our marriages <laughs> You have to really have the ability to listen. Um, what? It's <laughs> so important to to listen and and to make every attempt possible to understand where the other person or other people are coming from. Like, what's the basis for their point of view? And and to respect that, you have to respect it because. You know, if, if you don't, then what's the point of being in business with them and, and forging these relationships? Music is is an emotional expression. Uh, it, that's 
we all came together because we found commonality, not only in the music that we love, but that it was the truest form of expression for us as individuals, whether we were socially awkward uh, uh, or uh, felt like outsiders that we didn't fit in and we couldn't maybe verbalize those particular feelings. I know that was the case for me. When I discovered the guitar, it became my voice. And it's still the case to this day. Um, thankfully, through the course of the years, I've become slightly more articulate uh, but uh, than I was back then. But but music is still like the true voice. Um, and, you know, creating music and writing songs is a very selfish act uh, in a good way, because it means what you're saying and what you're writing is true to your heart and to your spirit. Uh, and you don't, we never wrote to an audience or for an audience. We wrote with the hopes that an, we would get an audience. Um, and then after we did, we still maintain the same sort of uh, viewpoint and, and attitude because that, that was, that was our, the, the, the purity uh, and the honesty of the band. And, We've maintained that throughout our careers, for better or for worse. But so that's how we express ourselves to this day. Um, so in order, like just to, the process of writing a song, you know, you have to listen to the guy you're writing with. You have to hear what they're saying and respect it and not uh, just dismiss it. Um, and we've never dismissed each other's uh, ideas. We've all collaborated and we would listen and attempt it and if it didn't work it didn't work yes. and sometimes when your ego comes into play sometimes if you're the guy that's presenting the idea and it, it, it gets i don't want to say shot down that's harsh but just doesn't work it doesn't fit in and everybody feels it like you, you have you kind of your dukes up a little bit you're protective of it because of your ego but it took us a long time but we gradually would let our egos go. I mean, you, you have to, if anything's going to get accomplished. Um, you have to within that moment, really, uh, or else you're going to be at a stalemate. And there's been times, for sure, where we've gone back and forth because we both believed in a certain idea that differed from one another. But we were always respectful of one another. We were never like, oh, you're an asshole. because It never like that. It was always, uh, well, I believe it should be this because of this. And he, same argument on the other side. And you kind of just, you work through it. Uh, it's communication. But it's being, again, I think the most important things are being able to listen. And equally as important is just be respectful of what you're listening to. You know, I, I appreciate that. And that those words come with, wisdom and years and experience of course and i always wondered you know what it's like to be on that end of shooting a documentary you know i'm fortunate i've, I've nothing i've never done anything at the level of i want to rock like chad has but doing my own interviews and and being on the other end that you are and being on something that opened you look back at those times and being like you know what i wish i had a you know a more mature head at this point or you kind of like that's what it was that's what made us who we were um did, did you, anything like looking back and, and certain relationships you know even like with rachel do things change are they different now like, i guess how do you look at back at when a documentary is laid out in front of you your life is kind of laid out in front of you how do you feel about that well uh you know as long as as long as you're being truthful and you're being honest to the people who are putting the documentary together and, and to the camera, um, then there's no regrets. Uh, you know, there there's there's successes and failures in, in every aspect of everybody's lives. Um, and I'm and we are no different. And, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of triumphs, but there's a lot of scars, too. And, and that comes with it. That comes with, you know, 36, 37 years of being together. So 
when I reflect back on that, when I'm doing something like this and I'm being asked, a, you know, a lot of questions, very, very good questions. Uh, people did their research really well. And um, again, going back to what I said earlier, it was done so respectfully that I didn't have a problem exposing myself uh, of certain things that have happened in, in my life. And um, again, the good and the bad, you know, there's playing in front of, uh, you know, half a million people in Poland. And there's, you know, getting molested at a young age that pretty much runs the gamut and and everything in between. And so I'm uh, whereas I wasn't an open book 10 years ago, um, I realized more so from being abused as a kid uh, and along with, you know, being being able to be proud of your success as well. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that occurred for me as as a child growing up and well into Skid Row was that, number one, my silence of what I was going through personally and what I had gone through wasn't serving anybody well. That took a long time for me to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And also accepting the fact that, you know what, you worked hard for this success. Enjoy it. Allow yourself to enjoy it instead of saying and believing, which I did for uh, a really, really long time, that I'm not deserving of any of this. Um, and I felt guilty about it. I felt guilty for decades about whatever successes we had and I, I personally had. And I mean, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that still doesn't creep into my psyche, mm. but by and large, I've, I've come to terms with it. And again, you know, humility is a big part of, of my upbringing and, and my my life and my outlook in general. Um, it helps me uh, keep things very much in perspective um, that and it also allows me to uh, celebrate all the good in my life. Uh, and that's really important you know to have the friends and family that surround you who love you and to be able to accept that love that was a big issue with me not being able to accept love and adoration or or just goodwill <laughs> it was i was always uh so um in such a depressive state internally that my my heart uh i wouldn't allow myself to believe that I was worthy of someone's caring or yeah. love or anything like that. And I'm going to throw this to Chad, um, but thank you for sharing that because I'm, and I'm appreciative that you mentioned that because that maybe more than anything else in the documentary really resonated with me because it's been labeled now, I think imposter syndrome, but I think it's just, um, another phrase of dealing with depression because that's something I feel like I go through. I'm not worthy of, you know, this guy I'm holding right now asleep in my arms. I'm not worthy of getting married. I'm not worthy of getting an interview. So many people tell me you're, you're too grateful when you get interviews. Like you're too, and it's never, never blowing smoke, but it's really like, I thank you, completely. Snake. Thank you so much for your time. I feel unworthy of that. But I don't, <laughs> I never hit the level of, success as as you i haven't i'm not a rock star so chad when you heard that you know did that do you find that story common within people you've interviewed uh, or like how did that make you feel when snake said that like here's one of your 80s rock your rock heroes saying that he just it was hard for him to enjoy the hits the the, the, the music he made being out there in front of thousands and thousands of people what were your thoughts as a fan and as, and as a producer Oh my God, that's a great question. Um, it happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a writer, and I work on lots of different things, and I feel like I feel like that all the time. Um, and so, on one hand, it was weirdly comforting. 
Yeah. I think to hear that from somebody, especially from somebody who, like, I've loved this band. I mean, one of the great things about making this documentary was this is easily in my entire life, the thing I've been most excited and I'm a huge rock and a huge 80s metal fan. So doing this project was literally working with every band I fucking worshipped, you know, from high school to today. Like if you saw my running playlist, Vixen, Skid Row, Motley Crue, like it's that's it's the whole list. It's the whole thing. Um, And so hearing that from Snake was comforting and um i don't know like this is gonna sound like corny and selfish but also kind of like oh my god like i i feel like one of my rock gods feels that's amazing that's what i'm saying yeah um and 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 also that's important to fans that really is snake for you to say that and i mean as fans no yeah we're both in the industry but as fans they hear your, your heroes or other people, like people think money or fame or women solve everything. You know, the best I, thing I, I ever heard, on, especially on this podcast, was Dave Navarro was like, nothing can replace trauma, you know, without treatment. So it's more- That's pe- very true. So, He's absolutely right. So I mean, we, we appreciate rockers like you speaking up because not everyone does. Well, that's here's the thing for me is that, like I, I said, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't serving myself or anybody good by maintaining my silence, and and uh, I, I I was almost I, I couldn't stop myself from actually exposing myself for for what I had been going through since a kid and some of the events that occurred to me at a young age and. Um, and it had just gotten internally worse and the more the worse it got the more i hit it and the more i created a certain outward character that could mask that stuff and uh uh that that was a big part of my uh being able to put this band together with rachel and stuff like that because i i developed a i don't know if you want to say an alter ego but i was certainly suppressing all of the all of the the detrimental thoughts and uh, some actions and um, the the not being outward about the things that I had um, been up against, you know. I mean, it's really it's it's very cathartic for me now to be able to talk about this stuff to be able to not be silent anymore and hopefully that encourages other people um to not be silent and and suffer in silence if you will i think that the biggest thing for me was actually opening up and once that came out of my mouth it scared the living shit out of me because then it was real because i always kind of looked everything as like a third person um to be honest and and that way it didn't it didn't break my heart you know it it, uh it it didn't destroy me uh somebody else not you not exactly and and so when i finally came clean and started talking about it uh, you know, it, it took a long time, but the the opposite actually started happening. I started healing and, um, you know, being able to be truthful uh, about something like, oh, well, the guitar player from Skid Row, you know, he was molested at, uh, when he's 12 years old. So maybe I can come out and talk about that because I'm not alone. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm not alone. Right. But to realize that you're not alone is is very, very helpful in getting help um, and to start healing. Um, Snake, was there an incident? Like what flipped the switch in you after keeping the secret about what happened to you as a kid and the depression that you fought for years? Like, was there a moment, an incident that flipped the switch in your head that you were like, that's it, I'm just gonna say these words to to, to my wife or Rachel or whoever you said it first to? What flipped the switch in you? 
Well, I said it to one person who I really trusted at one point. And the person didn't betray me or anything like that, but it definitely changed the relationship. So then I, I was terrified of telling anybody uh, again. And so it took a while. And, in, and what happened was in 1999, I started getting these panic and anxiety attacks three, four a day that were just absolutely debilitating. And I, uh, I would could feel it coming on and, and I would get out of public view, whether I was in, whether I was in an airport or whether I was in a, uh, a room full of people, I figured a way out. Cause I, I used to call it the black wave. I, I could feel it starting to happen. And I knew that it would really hit in like 15, 20 minutes. So I better get out and get out quick somewhere. So I had an escape plan, you know, it was always in the back of my mind. Cause I was having these things three, four times a day. Uh, and then one night, my my band was living at my house at the time in Jersey, and I uh, uh, my door my front door was always open. My friends and whomever wanted to come over could always come over and you know have a beer or a drink, whatever. Whether I was there or not, I didn't care. Um, so one night about two o'clock in the morning, a friend of mine was coming home from a from one of the clubs, and uh, and he he's sober. Um, and he just decided to stop over the house and see if he saw the lights on. So he came in and he discovered me in my closet in my bedroom having this massive panic and anxiety attack. And I was in a fetal position and I was sobbing and yelling. And I had hidden myself in a corner of the closet with blankets and stuff because I didn't want to alert the rest of the band members. And so that was the the breaking point where i was i was found out and then i was taken to a hospital and they wanted to hold me for you know 72 hours and uh <laughs> you know they ended up putting me in a padded room with restraints and, and on, a, on a bed that was right right out of the one flew over to cuckoo's nest and and uh and i was i said to the nurse i go are you are you more out of your mind than me by putting me in a room like this? Like this is going to soothe what I'm going through. All you're doing is, is, is cementing the fact that I'm like in big trouble right now. This is not helping. And so I, I, I ran out, I left, I was like, screw this. And so, but now someone knew within my circle and, and, uh, and so we had to address it because it was I was losing weight like crazy and, and I was emaciated and I was uh, I, I, I was having these breakdowns and and almost like a, I don't want to say hallucinations, but I was it was really strange, my behavior and I knew it, but I couldn't control it. And I didn't have any idea how to get help. Um, and finally I did finally I but it was it was a very discouraging process because back then in the late 90s uh, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot of research that had been done on mental health and mental illness or wellness um, you know it was one of those things where uh, you're brought up I was brought up in a culture that you didn't talk about depression you, didn't, you know no one gets depressed uh, you're depressed what do you got to be depressed about and my response was that's the problem. What do I have to be depressed about? I don't know. You know, can someone give me an answer? Can someone help here? And no one can help. And I always found it interesting. I'm one of those people that needs to know why hmm. about everything. Why is this happening? Why does this occur? Why haven't there been more attention uh, put on this particular uh, illness? Um, and it is a physiological illness as much as anything else uh but it's funny how you know you break your leg and you go to a doctor they fix it you have diabetes they treat it they manage it but you have a problem mentally with the most complex organ of your body mm -hmm. 
And we're supposed to be able to fix it on our own. Like, that's the thing that always astonished me. The the irony of that. And uh, so I saw a bunch of psychi- psychiatrists, and it was terrible uh, in New Jersey. Uh, they Because they didn't know. They, they speak to you. They spoke to me for like 10 minutes. Didn't get the big picture on things from me. How can you in 10 minutes? And prescribe me a cocktail of drugs and... Uh, sometimes they work for three months and then they'd stop. Sometimes they had an adverse effect. And I went through this numerous times, multiple times. And all, all it really did for me was it, it exasperated me and, and added to my, to my depression, if you will, uh, and my lack of hope for getting better. And then, I'm, you know, I'm also looking back on, uh, reflecting back, I, I, my, I guess my past life, and I really regretted coming clean about everything because my life was literally falling apart. And I'm like, remember when you know you you were playing sold out arenas and on all these tours and uh, you know number one record and all this stuff, and now look at you, you know you're. Uh, a mess you're worthless uh you know and i was able to to like i said before when i i always looked at it i created something that was a third party to all this and that no longer existed because once those words and actions were found out it was real it became real and there was no way i could like really hide that so I kind of really had to come clean to the to the band and those around me. Uh, once once it was once we were figuring out what was going on, and um, and it was a constant learning experience because again, the 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 research and information that was at your disposal was not very much. It was pretty slim. Um, and there wasn't a whole hell of a lot of reasons why this occurred. They, they spoke of the physiological aspect. They spoke of, you know, like uh, serotonin deficiency, dopamine deficiency, neurotransmitters misfiring, um, uh, your DNA, you know, what's happened on, uh, in the history of one or both sides of your family. And uh, it, it, it seemed definitely some of those I was, you know, checking the box on quite a few of those. Um, but again, it, it was, it was still in its infancy. It seemed to me, uh, from what I could, the answers that I could gather and get. So that it it was frustrating, uh, in the aftermath of telling the band, uh, and, and my loved ones, the different reactions, uh, were, you know, uh, they varied and and some completely didn't understand. Some thought it was bullshit. Uh, that was the old school mentality. Couldn't, and I don't blame those are mostly like my you know, people in my family who were older than me and and grew up in a different culture and a different belief system. And it's not their fault. Um, they were uneducated as well as I was. Mm. So. Um, as time went on, there were instances, there was a, you know, um, couple suicide attempts that, that really the second one was, was, I'm glad I failed at those. Cause the second, the second one was the one that was really, uh, uh, it really kind of got me on the road to getting well, to, to managing this thing, uh, in the right way, um, and the uh, I think the thing that turned me around was you know I was I was in the emergency room and they were working on me and uh, doing what they could to uh, get all the crap out of my system and and you know just to they I had been revived already and um, so it they're cleaning me out i guess and they uh i heard my guitar player's wife crying outside of where they were working on me at and that 
I, I, that changed everything. That, that moment was when I realized I'm actually responsible for causing that. And that's when I went, never again. I can't do that to somebody else. So that put me on, on, a on, on the road and which I'm still on, um, of, you know, of, of, of managing my mental illness, uh, my depression, my, you know, my life really. And, you know, it's amazing that when it finally, for me, when it finally got through that my actions had this sort of effect on somebody that I, I really cared about these people, like it's other people were, were having the same sort of thing because of something that I did. And that was heartbreaking. And I, I was like, I, I, if it, God forbid, I would have went through with it, or it had been successful, if you will, <laughs> if you could call it successful. But if it, if it, if I had actually passed away from it, like I, I look back on this now, and there's so much life that I would have missed. Uh, I would have missed so much, so much, and I'm so thankful to my family and my friends and, 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 you know, uh, God or your higher power or whatever you, however you want to view that. But I'm, I'm so thankful because the life I've had since that moment, while it's, you know, everybody's life is ups and downs, man. And that's not to say I haven't had some breakdowns along the way, but the, uh, the overall, the the accumulation of uh, of all of it is something I never could have imagined. How amazing it is! So I'm lucky, you know. Again, humbled by uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the divine intervention, if you will. And I just think that it's important to uh, for people to know that. That uh, again goes back to don't don't suffer in silence and there's there's you're not alone and and it's it's a message that is being told more and more and more uh, by different people in 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 different fields uh, different occupations um, and the more people talk about that and and uh, put out that message I think the more people it will resonate with more people. And then people can get, hopefully, seek out the help that they so deserve. Thank you, Snake, hey. for, for sharing that. And sorry, Chad, sure. just because no, 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 one of the reasons why it your story resonated with me so much, and I'm appreciative of your time today and being able to have this conversation, is because basically 10 years ago, my dad took his life. And throughout my 20s, I wanted to take my life. And fought it off. I went to therapy, took medication, but it wasn't the first try that worked. It was just, I happened, I'm lucky that I found the right person that I was with for, for 12 years. But I share, I share that story now, because it's funny, I went to a friend's 40th birthday party just last Sunday, and they're my best friends, and I didn't speak to any of them for two years after it happened. So it's, yeah. It's hiding something, but it's now it's getting something out where I can be, hopefully talk to somebody who's thinking of that decision. And we're lucky we have you because you can see what you could have lost where not everyone does. People are- It's true. I'm so sorry that that, that that happened and that your, your family and everybody had to go through that. It's, it's terrible, I'm so sorry. Thank you. I mean, um, it's just, th you look at it like a third person for the longest time. Wasn't sure how to do it, but I used, I mean, it take years, but I wouldn't have gotten, I don't know if I would have met the, the right person or had my son. So it's just like, there's a lot of life to live. And of yeah. course, I wish me and my, my, my family didn't have to go through that. But I want to make sure he never goes through that. That I'm right. still yeah. fighting the good fight because I'm I'm not cured by any 
stretch the imagination, I'm sure, light years away from what I used to be. But again, hearing stories like yours, and a lot of the stories in, in covered in I Want to Rock, because of course, not, they're not all identical, but all had their bouts of depression. Seeing them fight to get through that and where they are today, and in a happier place today where you're going to be on tour tomorrow <laughs> the shift gears a, yeah. little, the, uh, a little bit because um, I don't want to waste up too much of your time your last day off but I do got to <laughs> ask well because you could have eas- easily taken a setback because the first time I spoke with you you were having neck surgery yeah so I yeah. guess I want to know how that's doing and now you're living this life where you're going to go on tour with Buck Cherry and you know uh, just tell me how you're feeling and and what what's well, it look surgery, forward to? What are you looking forward to? Well, the surgery. I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody again, and you know, getting back out in front of people. I love the Buck Cherry guys. They're great. They're yeah. great band to tour with. This is the second leg uh, that we're doing with them, and we've we've got a couple more. It looks like going into next year. Um, but the surgery went great. Uh, I was back out on stage within less than eight weeks and uh i mean i had the surgery first week of january and i was on stage first week of march and um i don't know if that was if i was supposed to be but that's (laughs) the way (laughs) and i uh i just been really really lucky like things that that didn't work for the longest time that i just kind of adjusted myself around are are starting to work again and and uh you know it, it's really interesting relearning a bunch of stuff uh mobility wise um it, it, we're making these two things work together again <laughs> it's really it's frustrating but it's funny you know it's you do something your whole life and I've had this condition for a really, really long time, and it just got slowly, progressively worse and, until it was at the point where um, it was getting to the point, I should say, really close where I, I just couldn't get through a show. Um, so I had a, I had to do something. And luckily, I found a really great doctor, and um, he did a wonderful job. And so now it's I'm, I'm refiguring things out with uh again muscle memories and and uh movements and how you hold your guitar and how you pick and how you it's really interesting it's uh it's like life you just figure it out you know yeah man yeah and you you know it's all in it's all in real time (laughs) in real time right right yeah so uh but you know again the biggest the the joy is being able to go out there and, and play in front of people with guys that you really care about and love and, and play music that you love. Um, and so it's in a, it's, I say it every night on stage, but it's an amazing gift that we've been given. Absolutely. Uh, Chad, look, it looks like you're chomping at the bit. I'm sorry I cut you off earlier. No, no, no. I, like I was like, this is the best and deepest rock and roll podcast that has ever been recorded. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, no, see, I, I did want to ask, like, you've obviously just recently started talking publicly about mental health and what's happened to you. Um, and I'm wondering, like, while you may have just started speaking openly about your story and your health battles, have you been writing about it in your music all along? Like knowing your story, are there songs we can go back to? And if we listen to them, we'll be like, oh my God, that's what he was talking about. That's the story he was telling. Yeah, and in, in there's a song on our second record called In a Darkened Room. Hmm. And that's Nairo. We wrote that in like 1991, I believe. Yeah, I remember that. So, yeah, so <laughs> those... those that 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 yeah oh yeah that was that had my fingerprints all over it for sure um but um i started deciding to slowly become more vocal about this stuff during the pandemic um i started doing uh this weekly thing with uh with the local radio station out here the shark or one of the DJs, Orlando, on there is is, is a strong mental health advocate, and and so we had discussions, and he had uh, heard about certain things. I guess 
and, and approached me. I was like, I'd love to do something like that. And so we did it for a really long time until I think we both got really busy and with traveling after the pandemic and stuff. And and I also did some stuff for NAMI. I got involved with them. Uh, um, National Association on Mental Illness, I think the mm-hmm. A stands for Association or uh, National Advisory, I guess it is on mental illness. Anyway, great organization, so many resources available. So I I uh, was was more actively involved with them back then than, than I have been recently uh, for no other reason other than uh, people get really, really busy. But it's it's something that I uh, I love being a part of and, and I, I want to be, I, I would like to be in the future more uh, involved and, and outgoing uh, and vocal. Yeah. Well, you can, um, you can always do that in my podcast and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will because it's my podcast. I worked with that guy, Orlando, uh, at another uh, radio station at the time, WRCN, which is okay. now uh, a news station. And he tried to fight me. Oh no! He, uh, I mean, if you've never met me, I'm five six and handicapped, and he's just like kind of like a muscle head guy. And like he was, he got the morning show. He was talking down to me, and I said, "Don't talk down to me just because I'm handicapped." And he wanted to fight me. Uh, it got him fired. Wow! And that's why he's at the shark. Uh, I guess he's been a good boy and behaving there. So it's, I just think it's ironic that he's a big mental health guy, and he's well, also a bully. That, so if you ever want to talk about mental health with a real, you know, real conversation. Well, I, I'll tell you what. Here, here's. I'm sorry that that happened, and that was your experience. I'm sure your experience is much different, of course. Well, yeah, it is. But maybe I mean, there's always a possibility that that people can change and that they can get the help that they need. And and I hope that that aspect of his personality has been uh, eradicated because that's terrible. Hopefully, I never in my life I put out because I always try to be a smaller person, be the bigger person. And sometimes, you know what? Maybe I accidentally say a joke or don't mean to offend. Put my hand out, say, "Can we start over fresh? Don't ever yeah. talk to me that way again." Right. I don't, that's what he just kept repeating. Don't ever talk to me that way again. And I just kept my hand. It's still obviously it sticks with me to this day. And I just uh, I How don't long know. Ago with- I mean, oh. a, a decade ago. I say a decade ago. People change. I know that. So hopefully, he's well, I mean, changed. I hope so. I mean, the guy I know, and I haven't known him that long. But the guy I know, uh, I would like to believe that he doesn't possess those characteristics anymore. Well, I would hope. Yeah. Brando, for what it's worth, I would say one of my, I don't know if regrets is the right word, but I've never been in a real fight. And I'm always like, <laughs> man, I want to throw a punch and I want to take a punch. So I'm saying this right here. If you want, you and I can get together and we can just fight each other. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm down. I love it. No, I have the uh, Napoleon complex of just like, even though again I'm handicapped, you can I'm easily knocked downable. I will throw up if I, I will defend a friend. I will defend myself, and Good uh, for you, man. I'll uh, I'll get up. I'll you know I might yeah. need some assistance, but I'll I'll get up. Anyway, on that, on that note, I guess that combines a couple things because I would be remiss if I didn't get any Guns and Roses in here, because Duff um, talks about mental health. He's put it out, yep. putting out music about mental health and. Uh, but back in the day, they were known for fighting, you know, and like causing trouble. So I guess I was wondering, because we, we spoke about your friendship with Duff last time. Any fun memories that you don't have to go to, you don't have to write anybody out, but any fun memories of touring with GNR perhaps you can, you could talk about? Well, it was always, you, uh, it was, there was always a sense of, uh, this thing could explode at any moment. <laughs> there was always that that idea of of you just didn't know what was going to happen from day to day. Uh, that was just a type of of it was just a type of situation that it was back then. Uh, from from my viewpoint, from where I was standing, they were great guys. Still are. They were very kind to us. Uh, no rock star crap or anything like that. They're very, very uh, welcoming. Uh, and I mean, I you know, Duff Duff did a, a solo record back then. Okay. And, yeah. and he uh, was gracious enough to ask me to play on it. 
And so after some of the some of the shows that we were doing, uh, he would book studio time, and he'd get done playing a two and a half hour show, and get in a car and head over to the studio and record a solo record. And I was like, "Wow, man! Like you, you live rock and roll like that. <laughs> you live it. Like you, it is you. That's what you do." And uh, I love that about him. Uh, and he, again, it was it was a, an amazing experience. We wouldn't get done till five, six in the morning, and and back then it's just the way it was. So I had a blast uh, working with him, and and uh, uh, Matt Sorum was involved in it, and Dizzy was involved in it, and. Um, I think Slash had come in at one point, and but it was uh, it was one of those experiences that I'm really proud to have been a part of, uh, and having known, you know, Duff the most out of everybody in that band, is so proud of the man he's become. Uh, it's incredible uh, who he is, but that. That's his heart and soul that came to fruition. Um, the guy that he is now uh, and the guy that he's been for quite some time and that he continues to be and, and to grow. And I love the fact that he's uh, speaking out with regards to mental illness. He's got a huge platform and he's using that for the right reasons. And, and I, I really applaud that. Uh, I have great amount of respect, but we, uh, like I said, every day was was the unknown, and that was exciting and nerve wracking at the same time. But it, it was it was old school rock and roll, man. I remember you were telling me that you didn't know about the St. Louis riot until like after you saw it on TV. So I mean, I can't even imagine. That's because I'm gonna be 40 in like a couple weeks, and I was just too young to have gone to that show. I was seeing, I was singing Muppet Babies at that time, <laughs> so it's just but the one I, 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 I wish I experienced. But uh, I guess have yeah, this, that was rough. Let me just ask that this was... as like my final, and then chat or whatever you you want to ask. Um, because I guess I'm I'm curious in knowing Duff, and by the way, you guys should go on like a speaking tour, Snake and Duff, <laughs> like a motivational speaking tour. Uh, they oh, that's, really, that's very nice of you to say. I think Thank it, you. I think it would do well. I think Rocker. I would be all for that. I, I I love being around him, and I consider him a dear friend. So right yeah. Right on. Uh, so Duff and the rest of the current Guns N' Roses members put out a new song, and I'm just I want to ask you this as a songwriter. It was written a couple decades ago by Axel during the Chinese Democracy era, and it just has been shelved. It was never on anything. There internet leaks that have been out whatever that's never official but of course the new band worked on it with slash with, with duff and they put it out it's just kind of a, a fandom thing to talk about do you consider that a new song i mean because some fa fans are like oh it's not a new song and they're getting all technical and nerdy about it but i feel like once you write a, a piece of art that's still always available to you in your tool chest. It doesn't matter when it comes. But I'm not a songwriter, so I'm just curious. Like, if you had a Skid Row song that you wrote in the late 80s, early 90s, and you decided to put it on the next record with Eric, like, how would you... Would that be a new Skid Row song? Would that be a revamped classic? Like, well, how do you look at that? Oh, that's pretty interesting. I mean, their song is new to me. So, <laughs> that's what i, I tell mean, people I, I, it's new to them <laughs> okay okay uh, you know so i i think that um i think when when you unless unless there was no changes whatsoever made to the song whatsoever i think just by the fact that it's been uh recorded with slash and duff and i have to imagine that there's changes in there uh, somewhere along the way that, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the, the guts of it were, were written a long time ago, but I, I, I think it's could be considered a new song to the, to the audience because no one's ever really heard it before. So I agree. Uh, you know, and you know what, not for nothing, but we've done stuff where, you know, there's a song on our new record that the riff, uh, the song's called October song. The riff has been around for, 
uh, <laughs> I want to say 15 years. Okay. And it was just something that I always kind of played on acoustic guitar. And Scotty and Rachel always said, are you going to do something with that? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm stuck with it. I don't know. And then finally one day, uh, we're at Rachel's house and I, you know, we're getting ready to go in and write. And he goes, I go, what do you want to work on today? He goes, that thing that you've been playing for the last two decades <laughs> that you just played upstairs awesome. and I heard. And now I have an idea and I'm like, oh, this is great. And so I'm really, really proud that that something came to fruition out of this uh, old idea. Love it. Um, great, great answer. I love that. I, I feel like for some reason, people, meaning audiences, uh, want to think that when a piece of art, whether it's a song or a novel or a movie or a play is created, the the artist sits down and says now i'm going to write this song and that song, song comes out and it's finished and it's done and then they move on to the next song and they write that and it's done but i'm not a songwriter you know i write stories in different forms and in my experience different things everything has a very different gestational process that it goes through and right. there are some stories that you think of today you write it as a script and it's done in six weeks. And then there are other ideas that you are playing with in your mind for years and years and years, and they go through drafts and drafts. I, I am a huge Stephen King fan, and Stephen King puts out a novel like every six months. And he doesn't finish a novel and then write the next novel and put it out. I mean, the, I don't I can't speak for Stephen King, but I can only imagine that some of these novels he started a year ago and some of these novels he started 20 years ago and they've gone sure. through various things. And I would think Snake, I, I mean, you tell me, but I would think it's kind of the same with the song is every song has its own journey. Oh, yes, especially for us. Uh, we've never been. The guys that. Oh, we just finished a song in 10 minutes. That's never happened with us. But, you know, it, I think everybody is has different levels of, of being prolific. And, um, you know, a guy like Prince was able to write a song a day. Uh, uh, Lennon and McCartney, whenever they went into a room to write, they finished the song that day. Whenever they finished the song, that was they start to finish. It was done. Uh We've never been as lucky as that because we're not as talented as that. <laughs> but the thing is, is that we also we sit there and we analyze everything about the song. We've gotten a little bit more freer, but we would agonize over one word, agonize over one word uh, because it just it meant that much to us. And I can remember being upstairs at Rachel's parents' house in this room we used to call the green room because it had green paneling on it. You know, this is this is the 1986 and we'd be working on songs and, and we'd be there in silence for hours because we had no idea. This is two in the morning, three in the morning. You know, we got to get up and go to work in a few hours. Um, but it just was that important to us to find the right word that we both agreed on <laughs> or the right note, the right chord change, whatever it may be. It's just, it's one of those things where um, some people that window is open longer and wider for ideas to pass through. Uh, and some of us aren't so uh, fortunate. But that's okay, you know. You you just you work through it. You, you do do it to your best of your ability. Hey, Leonard and McCartney, they didn't write monkey business, okay? So it's <laughs> that's that's you. That's you and Skid Row. <laughs> Snake, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Safe travels. Good luck with the uh, pleasure's all mine, guys. Thank you for taking your time. I appreciate it. Hey, it's all on this side. Like I said, I'm not worthy. I, I gotta go. I realize to myself that I am worthy. We're all worthy here. And, and Chad, just thank you so much. Uh, I, you know, a friendship would come out of watching I Want to Rock on Paramount Plus, but um, yeah, any any final I, I have any of the projects coming up since then because I know your main focus has been promoting the documentary, but I'm just curious if you have anything else going on. 
Wait, are you talking to me? Yeah, Chad. Me? Yeah, you. Anything else oh. going on? Uh, you're, you're, well, unfortunately, the right we're on strike now in Los Angeles. So okay, nothing. All right. So so yeah, um, <sighs> I had some projects was we were getting ready to go out there and pitch, but they're on hold until after the strike. Hopefully that will be over soon, but it doesn't. Yeah, I hope it is. It doesn't look like it. All right. Well, keep working on Skid Row the musical and just keep us yes. <laughs> yeah. updated. <laughs> uh, Snake and Chad, thank you so much. Uh, thanks to Baby Brownstone made an appearance. My wife is home now, and he's he made it through another episode without really crying. So he was awesome. Best co-host uh, ever. And well, Chad, yeah. you and you and Baby Brownstone. So <laughs> so that does well, it for thank this. Thank you for having me, Brando. You got it. Anytime, anytime. Thanks to both of you guys. I appreciate it. Chad, great to see you again as always. Good to see you, Snake. I'll see you out here, I think in December, right? Yeah, uh, right. December like a 12th or 13th or something like that i think it's maybe the i can't remember the 8th or something 12th i'm not okay. sure we'll be there i'm very excited excellent um, i'm looking forward to that thank you brother i appreciate it guys you got it so that does it for this episode of appetite for distortion when will you see the next one in the words of axel rose concerning chinese democracy i don't know if soon is the word but you'll see it security, I'm going home.